Let's pray. Almighty Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for gathering uh, us, your children, uh, to your holy church. Thank you for this time that we could open your word and study your word, um, illumine your word, uh, specific to evangelism. I pray that uh, we would receive your word with open hearts, open minds. I pray that the power of your Holy Spirit would indwell me as I teach and all of us as we listen, that uh, we would receive your word with eagerness and we would live out your word in the coming days. I pray and ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, we're going to address the topic of evangelism. A couple of, uh, a little disclaimer. Uh, Last night I had a majority of my uh, notes for this lesson prepared. And uh, when I opened my computer to finish my notes, I couldn't find my file, which I had saved. Uh, And not only did the file disappear, I couldn't, uh, rather the document disappear, but the file in which I had saved the document was not to be found. After an hour of searching for my notes in vain, I had to uh, begin the task again last night. So uh, forgive me if uh, today's lesson is a bit choppy and unorganized, but uh, that's why we have God, uh, His Holy Spirit, to help us this morning. So maybe, yes, uh, I have uh, been forced to pray more and uh, depend on Him more. And I should probably live my life, uh, every moment of my life, uh, that way anyway. So that was a lesson learned, silver lining, I suppose. So um, we may or may not have time for questions. Uh, We'll try to end on time by 10.15 if... uh, uh, if the way this lesson flows, if we do have time, uh, then we will take some questions or comments. So without further ado, I have uh, an outline, and in that outline, um, there are th- four points. Uh, first, we will examine the Trinitarian nature of evangelism, and uh, we will see how evangelism had worked out, had God, how God had sovereignly worked evangelism in church history. Uh, the third point is how it applies to us to, the, to this very day. And the last point, uh, I guess it kind of ties in with uh, application as well as God's sovereignty in evangelism. So the word evangelism originates from the Greek word uh, for gospel, euangelion. And this word simply means good news. So translating that word to evangelism would render the word evangelism to mean literally gospeling or good newsing. So evangelism is the sharing or spreading of the good news, spreading the gospel. Let's look at its Trinitarian nature. Just as the gospel comes from God, it originates with God, we will see that evangelism also originates with God. So God is the first evangelism, is the first evangelist. 
Uh, my source for this uh, portion of the lesson is uh, uh, Pastor David Strain. He's a PTA pastor in Jackson, Mississippi. He wrote an article for Table Talk, um, uh, September, tw September 2017. So he, he talks a lot about the Trinitarian nature uh, of evangelism. First, we have God the Father. Let's look at... Uh, Turn your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 1, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. We read, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons. So this passage, uh, as we know, speaks of the doctrine of election and predestination, but it also speaks to the heart of the Father in evangelism. Now the original uh, audience of this letter were Gentile citizens of the city in Ephesus. They were idolaters having been alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant of promise. Yet they came to saving faith under the, under the evangelistic ministry of the apostle Paul. And it is to these very people, God the Father is saying, I have chosen you before the foundation of the world and I have predestined you to adoption. And we see other examples of uh, God's work in effectual calling. We see that in the call of Abraham. Abraham was an idolater living in Ur of the Chaldees. And God revealed himself in a special way to Abraham as the one true God. And God not only did that, but he covenanted himself to Abraham, promising him to be the father of many nations, saying, in your seed, in your offspring, that is Christ, all the nations of the world will be blessed. And we are told that Abraham believed God and it was counted, it was credited, credited to him as righteousness. The story of Rahab, as Rahab hid the spies uh, for uh, from safety, for their safety, she, she shared with them, she told them how the fame of their God had been heard and spread throughout their land. And she ended their, the conversation with these spies with these riveting words, for the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. So at the fall of Jericho, Rahab and her family joined the covenant community of Israel. Matthew cites her as being one of the ancestors in the genealogy of Christ, and the author of Hebrews commends her for her faith. Not only is God the Father uh, uh, the originator or instrumental in evangelism, God the Son is as well. Turn with me to, uh, excuse me, Isaiah chapter 61. Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1. We'll quickly look at that. <sighs> now, 
Now, if there's any doubt in our minds as to the Trinitarian nature of evangelism, this passage alone will put those doubts to rest, as we will see. Excuse me. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. So here we see that the Holy Spirit is being sent from the Father, the Father being referred to as the Lord God, and the Spirit rests upon the Son in an anointing sense to empower him for the work of the gospel ministry. And the Father, uh, referred to here in this passage as Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, he anoints the Son with the Holy Spirit to bring the gospel to humanity. And we see in, uh, in Luke chapter 4, Christ, uh, when he enters the synagogue, he finds this very passage in Isaiah, and he reads it. And upon reading this very passage, he tells the audience, today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing, referring to himself as being that evangelist. We also see in, at the very outset of Christ's public ministry, Jesus began his ministry in Zebulon and Naphtali. These tribes were among the first in Israel to fall into um, apostasy, away from the worship of Yahweh. And yet it is to these very people that Christ comes to call, to call them to himself, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Christ is also the first evangelist in the very words that he spoke. Uh, in Luke chapter 5, Christ uh, encounters Levi. Levi is a tax collector, and he meets Levi at his office, his tax booth. So a little bit of a background uh, for us to fully understand the weight of, of this passage and another passage in Luke. Uh, tax collectors were Jewish people who worked for the Roman government, and they excised taxes, collected taxes from the Jewish people on behalf of Rome. Uh, so that's uh, offense number one. Uh, the second offense, they uh, uh, added an additional tax, and they pocketed that additional tax to themselves. Uh, making themselves rich. So that was offense number two. So among the Jews in Jesus' day, tax collectors were held with great contempt, much contempt. Uh, they were maybe held a, a little bit in higher regard than the Samaritans. Uh, so keep that in mind. So when Christ calls Levi uh, to, to be his disciple, to, to follow him, Christ, uh, I'm sorry, yeah, uh, Christ calls Levi, and Levi not only leaves his office and his profession, but he throws a feast in Christ's honor. So at this feast, there are many other tax collectors, his colleagues at the party, and the Pharisees grumble that the disciples are, uh, are mingling, are fellowshipping with such people. And this is what Christ says to them in response. 
I have, co- I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And while in the company of Zacchaeus, another tax collector, with whom uh, uh, Christ has a meal, Jesus says in response to those who grumble for the same reason, today salvation has come to this house, Zacchaeus' house, since he, Zacchaeus, is also a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. The Holy Spirit. We have already seen how the Holy Spirit had empowered Christ Jesus to, the work, to do the work of gospel ministry while here on earth. The Holy Spirit was, was with Jesus throughout his earthly life, during his passion, and while he, while he atoned for our sins on the cross. The Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, also empowered, enabled the apostles to evangelize and plant the early churches. Peter reminded the believers uh, to whom he evangelized, the believers in Asia Minor, saying, we preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. That very same Spirit now indwells you and I this very day, empowering us to do the work of evangelism in our communities. David Strain, uh, the PCA pastor, says, quote, the mission of the church, our evangelistic labor, is really only the extension of the evangelistic work of the triune God. So having examined the Trinitarian nature of evangelism, let us now see how um, it's outworking in, in church history. The first point under uh, the first sub point under the second point is uh, I didn't really find a appropriate word for it. I uh, I said lifestyle, and let's uh, let's see how it how it uh, comes out. Now, when Yahweh had covenanted Himself to the people of Israel to be their God, He commanded them, saying, "And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation." Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. Here, Peter uses the same language to, uh, to describe the new covenant believers who had come to saving faith. He's, he calls them, he says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So what is com- being commanded here, what had been commanded of the old covenant community in Israel and what is being commanded of us, the new covenant community, the church, is the way we live our lives, a lifestyle. Uh, and uh, notice we're, we're not just called to be a holy people, uh, a holy nation. Uh, we're called to a certain end. And what is that end? Peter tells us that you and I may proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness 
into his marvelous light. Christ put it this way, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. The way the uh, uh, evangelism worked in church history is also seen in the written word of God. We must ask ourselves, how did evangelism occur unless the people had access to the word of God? There were many throughout human history that did not have access for a very long time. And that began to change over time, and God was instrumental in that. In 1428, a certain German craftsman named Johannes Gutenberg, he began experiments in printing in France. Now, movable type printing and had already existed for centuries in Asia. So printing was, was already uh, in place, yet Johannes was developing a printing system that made such production easier and more efficient. Years, years later, in 1455, he published the first printed Bible known as the Gutenberg Bible. And now that was the only, uh, that was only the beginning of the story. Romans 10.17 says, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Luther said, the word comes first, and with the word, the spirit breathes upon my heart so that I believe. Where the word is honored, Luther affirmed, the spirit brings life. So it is this conviction of sola scriptura uh, that scripture alone is instrumental for bringing men and women from all, all walks of life to saving faith that drove men like William Tyndale and Martin Luther to embark on the arduous and dangerous journey of Bible translation. These men tirelessly labored and translated the Bible from the original Greek and Hebrew into the common language of their people. Let's talk about Tyndale. Having fled to safety from, from Germany uh, because he was being persecuted uh, and he had the goal, the mission to translate the word of God into the common language of his people, English. Uh, it, while in Germany, in Cologne, uh, Tyndale completes the first English New Testament. And a year later, the English New Testament would be printed in the German city of Worms, the very city where Martin Luther made his stand against the Roman Catholic Church. So these New Testaments were then smuggled by um, English merchants in Antwerp, I believe that was in, Ger in Belgium. And from Belgium, they were smuggled in bales of hay, and they would arrive uh, in, uh, in these English ports in bales of cotton, forgive me, it's been a long uh, late night last night, uh, bales of cotton, you get the idea. Um, and they were received by these uh, German Lutheran uh, merchants, and that's how these English New Testaments made their way from, uh, uh, from Germany to England. And it is the written word of God, the printed word of God being in the very hands of common people like you and me is, uh, is what brought about the evangelization and reformation in England and many other countries throughout Europe. Luther, 
while hiding in the uh, Wartburg Castle, he completed the translation of the New Testament into German. Now, the Old Testament was a much larger task. It took him longer to do so. He finally completed that in, uh, in 1534. Now, others would follow in his footsteps. 200 years later, William Carey and his family, William Carey was, was just a cobbler. He had no formal education, let alone uh, theological training, yet he being convicted by God that uh, uh, he, he ought to evangelize the lost, uh, he left uh, 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 England with his family, and he would labor for many years in India. The fruit of their tireless labor would be scarce in the number of converts from Hinduism and, uh, and Islam. After many years of uh, tireless labor, Krishna Paul, uh, Krishna Paul would be the first Hindu to come to saving faith. Now Krishna is actually the name of one of the Hindu gods, one of the main Hindu gods, so uh, that in itself is something remarkable. I'm from India. So the fruits of his labor continue on to this very day. William Carey would soon embark on the arduous task of Bible translation into the native languages of India. After nearly seven and a half years of, of labor in Bible translation, Carey completes the translation of the first Bengali New Testament. Joshua Marshman, who co-labors with Carey, uh, he actually is primarily involved in the printing of, uh, the, uh, of the Bible, penned this hymn on this momentous occasion. Listen with me, it's a wonderful hymn. Hail, precious book divine, illumined by thy rays, we rise from death and sin and tune a Savior's praise. The shades of error, dark as night, vanish before thy radiant light. Now shall the Hindus learn the glories of our king, nor to blind gurus turn, nor idols praises sing. Diffusing heavenly light around, this book their shastras shall confound. Deign, gracious Savior, deign to smile upon thy word. Let millions now obtain salvation from the Lord nor let its growing conquest stay till earth exalt to own thy sway. By the end of William Carey's life, he, by the grace of God, had translated the entirety of the Bible into six Indian languages, including Hindi, which is the national language of my native country. He also translated the entire New Testament into 19 other languages and portions of the Bible into an additional 10 languages. And he did so at great personal cost. He lost his wife, he buried two of his children. Uh, his original work, the entirety of his original work went up in flames. I don't, I don't recall what year it was, but he had already translated many of the Bible into many of these languages, and uh, the, they were lost to the fire, and he had to start the work all over again. And 
He did so faithfully. Now, uh, uh, time will fail me. There are so many other missionaries. Adoniram Judson, he was the first American missionary to Burma. And he labored tirelessly for many years. And uh, with, in, the, in, the world, in our eyes, the eyes of the world, they, were, they seemed to see little fruit. But yet he, he labored in Bible translation. And the Bible exists to this very day in the native language of the people of Myanmar. Uh, Amy Carmichael. She was another missionary to India, and she labored many years. Uh, her primary uh, audience were orphans in India. She rescued, uh, it seemed, hundreds of orphans over those years from uh, who were uh, likely would die without uh, intervention, and many came to saving faith. Let's look at our um, third point. How is it applicable to us today? It's application today. The first thing is, is prayer, the priority of prayer in evangelism. John Bunyan, the Puritan, said, you can do more than pray after you have prayed, but you cannot do more than pray until you have prayed. And Joel Beakey says, prayer has to be the first thing in what we, of what we do. As in, any, as in every sphere of our lives, as Christians we know this, evangelism must begin with prayer. As we have already examined the role of our triune God in evangelism, where God is the first evangelist, we seek his help and guidance to evangelize the people in our lives. He must bring about that change. He must bring about the conviction in our lives to do so. And we have many examples of this in Holy Scripture. Jeremiah, he writes a letter to the exiles in Babylon. And in this letter, he exhorts them, saying, but seek the welfare of the city. And, uh, um, yeah, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. Jesus, before commissioning, uh, uh, before choosing and commissioning the 12 apostles to do the work of the gospel ministry, he spent all night in prayer before he uh, did this important task. And in Acts, after the apostles and early Christians had prayed, they were filled with the Holy Ghost and were told they sp spoke the word of God with boldness. So here's some specifics on prayer. How do we pray? What do we ask God uh, uh, in terms of evangelism? The first thing I would, uh, I would suggest uh, is opportunities. Pray that God would grant you the opportunities, divine appointments. These, way, these may be with people that you already have known for years, people you may have been acquainted with or are known as colleagues or, or neighbors or uh, the parents of, of your children with whom you have playdates or, or do things together, uh, uh, your own loved ones, people in your lives, your relatives. Uh, pray that God would grant you the boldness, the courage, and the opportunity to, to share the gospel with them. And uh, there may even be transitory gospel moments or conversations, maybe at the grocery store, maybe at the gym, Maybe just out in the community, waiting in line to 
go to a concert, who knows? You know, opportunities are endless, and uh, our sovereign God will avail them self, uh, will make them available to you if you seek, them, seek him to do so. Relationships. Tim Keller, in one of his uh, videos on evangelism, states that you cannot evangelize unless you know unbelievers. So here again, we need to seek the Lord's help to, uh, to grant us, to open us opportunities to, to intentionally be relational with the people, uh, unbelieving people in, in, our, in our lives uh, f- towards the end goal of evangelism. And uh, a distinction has to be made here between um, lifestyle witness, what David Strain in his article calls lifestyle witness and actual evangelism. I'm sorry, not David Strain, it's actually uh, Mark Dever in his book, he says this. While a godly life commends the gospel being at work in your life, being honest and compassionate presents a good example. This, however, is not evangelism. Evangelism involves actually opening our mouths and sharing God's word on sin, uh, on wrath and judgment in hell, on how Christ had died and atoned for our sins, and he alone can save one from the coming wrath to, uh, that, that is uh, to be a reality in their lives apart from God's saving work. Mark Dever in his book, The Gospel and Personal Evangelism says, quote, displaying God's compassion and kindness by our actions is a good and appropriate thing for Christians to do. Jesus commended it when he told the story of the sheep and the goats. But such actions are not evangelism. They commend the gospel, but they share it with no one. To be evangelism, the gospel must be clearly communicated, whether in written or oral form. I'm not, don't get me wrong, I'm not undermining the way we live our lives. The way we live our lives, our lifestyle, how we conduct ourselves as believers in our family life, our work life, in our community life, pairs with uh, evangelism. It lays for us a foundation, a platform for evangelism. It, it authenticates the gospel. How we live our lives authenticates, makes it possible for us to be bold in, in sharing the gospel orally or, or in written form, however that opportunity would arise to you. And we also uh, take great comfort in God's sovereignty in evangelism. Uh, For this portion, I use Joel Beakey's article in Table Talk uh, on soul winning. He gives these five points, and I couldn't couldn't, uh, word it any better than he has. So uh, a lot of it is uh, a direct quote from, from his article. The first is divine election makes the believer bold in evangelism. Uh, This is what the Lord said to Apostle Paul in a vision one night. Do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent, for I am with you. Secondly, divine election makes the believer patient in evangelism. Now, while we evangelize with urgency, Scripture is clear on that. It says, 
today is the day of salvation. Now is the accepted time. Broad is the way to destruction, and many uh, there are uh, on it. Uh, we, we patiently rest on God's sovereignty to bring that person or those people whom we evangelize to saving faith. They come to saving faith in God's ordained timing. Going back to the uh, Hindu convert uh, under Carey's ministry, Krishna Paul, he first encountered the gospel with a Moravian missionary many years ago. Then he heard it again uh, from another missionary uh, named John Fountain. So God was patiently working in the life of this Hindu. Then finally, the further witness of Marshman, Thomas, and William Carey led Krishna Paul to saving faith in Christ Jesus. And he was the first, but he was the first of many uh, that would come to saving faith uh, under William Carey's ministry. Divine election makes the believer confident in evangelism. William Carey wrote this to his friend John Williams, quote, I have no doubt but God will establish his name in this country. Our labors may be only those of pioneers, but truth, capital T, will certainly prevail, and this kingdom, amongst others, see the salvation of God, end quote. God promises in Isaiah, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish the purpose that which uh, I sent it, and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. The fourth point, divine election, makes the believer submissive in evangelism. We understand that it is God's gospel. We have the privilege of being his messengers of the greatest news in human history. So we surrender ourselves. We surrender ourselves to his sovereign work in those we evangelize. We pray and evangelize that his will be done in their lives. It has been said that Christianity is one beggar showing another beggar where to find bread. So we evangelize, but we're humble about it, realizing that we're the messengers, and it is not in our power to convert people, but God is pleased, is pleased to do that work, his sovereign work through us. We are his means to do that sovereign work. Lastly, divine election makes the believer worshipful in evangelism. So this should guard us against any man-centeredness in our evangelism. The focus is not on us, the evangelists, or any clever methods that we may try to come up with. Rather, the focus is solely on God, who is the gospel. I planted Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. As we evangelize, may we do so with the mindset of soli Deo Gloria, to the glory of God alone. I believe we have some time. So, yeah, we do. So... Any thoughts or, or questions, comments? Maybe 
personally share what uh, your experience has been? Yes, if you could, uh, Greg, if you could give the mic to Brittany. Oh, uh, thank you, Walt. Um, I just wanted to, I love the, the point about God's sovereign appointment for times and places. I, something I have, I've had to remind myself over the years is as a stay-at-home mom, 95% of my interaction with people is with my family. We're at the young children's stage. Most of the people that we see are doctors or therapists. <laughs> and it's, you, you don't build relationships with the doctors because you see them, you know, a couple times a year maybe. Um, but we had... So I, I've had to remind myself my, my main ministry right now is to my children because mm. they need that. But there are moments where you God surprises you. We had uh, some we had two Mormon missionaries come to my door um, earlier this summer, and they weren't actually coming to evangelize me. Um, and I grew up with lots of Mormons. I had lots of Mormon friends, and I I have a particular heart for that group of people. Um, but they were actually looking for someone else. They had a woman who had asked them to come pray with her about joining the Mormon church, and instead they came to my house. <laughs> and, um, divine appointment. <laughs> that was divine appointment because I was not ready. I was in workout clothes and had messy hair, but I got them to talk to me, and we were able to invite them to come to dinner with us. And they came once, and we had the um, chance to share the gospel of course, we didn't do it perfectly, and we didn't have nearly as much time as we had hoped they had to go. <laughs> um, and the next, they were supposed to come again, and they, they never showed up. Um, we're pretty sure they were told not to return. But um, we were grateful because it was a chance that we don't know what God's going to yeah. do with them. I still pray for them to this day, but we, we pray that maybe one day God will use that as a stepping stone for something in the future for them. And um, but it, it shocked me because they, they weren't even there to try to get me into the Mormon church. They were there for someone else. And uh, so that was, that was a wonderful surprise. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Thanks for sharing that, Brittany. This, this true story goes with yours about the Mormon missionaries. There were two Mormon missionaries that went to uh, knocking on doors in the 1970s in a little town called Zorin in Germany. Next to that town, there was, used to be an American Air Force base. And the two Mormon missionaries walked in the door and there was a uh, wife of an American airman that lived you know, in that part of the house. It was divided into apartments. And she was feeding her little baby in the high chair. And she said, you, you, I'm glad to have you boys stop by, but I, I'm going to be leaving in, in a couple of minutes. And she said, so I can't talk to you long, but I'm just going to ask you this question. She said, have you ever heard this verse, these verses in the Bible? This is divine appointment. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Well, that one of those young Mormon missionaries was me in 1976, probably. And that verse hit me like a sledgehammer in the face. Because when it said, 
I never knew you. Depart from me. I, I knew that was me. And God gave me many witnesses as a young Mormon from Idaho, not in Idaho, but in Germany, and most of it by Americans in the military. That's divine appointment. Amen. God's sovereignty at work. Thank you for sharing your Mormon missionary story. Thank you. Any other comments? Some of you know our story with our neighbors. Um, so I think what convicted me about what you shared was that there, you can act it out in your lifestyle in the way that you um, serve and through kindness, but the gospel comes from the hearing of the written, uh, either orally or the written word. So pray for us because we haven't specifically shared the gospel with our neighbors. We're acting, we're, we're obviously acting out um, the gospel through what we're doing um, in caring for a little one, but um, pray that we would be bold um, because we, we, and we have been patient. We've seen God, God has definitely divinely appointed and put us in the house that we're in for a reason in our neighborhood. Um, and just pray that we would be bold and um, in actively sharing the word in the gospel. Amen. What, what blessed me, Emmanuel, about all the things that you said was the, the active working of the sovereign Lord in the lives of the people. He is sovereign in all of our lives, no matter what happens, whether we get converts or whether we don't, whether we have issues in our life or whether we don't. He is still sovereign, and his name will be glorified in all that we do. And I praise the name of the living God for that. I really do. Amen. I'll end with uh, one quick comment, uh, maybe a couple. Not really, <laughs> not enough time. But uh, going back to what Brittany said, as parents, the seeds of the gospel that we're planting in the lives of our children, um, the, the story of uh, John Newton comes to mind. His mother was a believer, and early on she had uh, read the Bible, shared scriptures, planted those seeds of the gospel. And uh, John Newton went the wayward way. He was a prodigal for many years. He was a slave. He was a, uh, a slave. Uh, um, he was the captain of a slave ship. And yet those seeds remained and came to fruition. And we know the rest is history. So we should uh, take such examples in the lives of believers, faithful parents who, who planted those seeds you may, you may be that person who planted. Someone, will, someone else would come by and water, and finally it would come to fruition. So take encouragement in that. Let's pray. Thank you. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for this time that uh, we could examine your word on evangelism. Thank you, Lord, that you 
are the first evangelists that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Not that we loved you, but that you loved us and gave your Son to be our propitiation. So in that vein, Lord, in that confidence and resting in your sovereignty, grant us the grace, the boldness, and the opportunities to, to be your witnesses, to be the evangelists in our, uh, in our communities, be it at home, in the, uh, at, at work, uh, or wherever else you put us. Continue to prepare our time uh, for worship. I pray and ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.